All right, Nick Smart, recording on a Thursday just before the Thursday night game kicks off. Uh, a little bit of intrigue in this one, given like the Raiders' defense uh, fired the coordinator and is decimated by injury. Uh, and the Chargers' offense has, uh, let's say, issues um, with a Mike Williams injury and Keenan Allen hamstring issues. Line sitting at three and a half right now. Most of the money coming on the Raiders. What do you think is going to happen in this game? Hate to be boring and go chalk on you, but I think the Raiders are going to win. And I, I think they cover that number as well. Uh, I do still have some concerns about how they looked against the Falcons and the Jets, but I think they've got enough talent still standing upright to get this done. And I think they're going to get a bounce from showing uh, Paul Gunther the door. I thought he was a joke in Cincinnati. I thought it was a bad hire by Gruden. I'm glad that they finally come to their senses. I also do get the sense that Mike, Mike Mayock is by the hour becoming more of a desperate man. I think he's starting to wonder if his job might be on the line. But no, I, I don't think I like the way I like where the Chargers are going. But we saw another time management blunder out of Anthony Lynn last week. That's like, what, four or five weeks in a row now? Yeah, they did manage to win the game, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, he's coaching them out of ball games. I think everybody can see it. No Bulaga. I have concerns about that line. Yeah, I'm taking the Raiders in this game. I've got the Chargers at three and a half, but I still like the Raiders to win. The thing that I'll say is if I'm wrong, I think motivation is going to be a big piece of this. You've got to think uh, Chargers in Las Vegas. I've said it every week that Las Vegas has a home game, but you've got to like their home field advantage with the other teams staying overnight in Las Vegas. Um, and you've got a team that like isn't going to the playoffs this year. This is about the time you would check out with a lame duck coach. Um, you know, the more I'm talking about it, the more I hate my three and a half bet. Uh, and I'm actually I'm, able to get out of it. So I'm doing yeah. that right now. I mean, this is the Raiders yeah. season, right? This yeah. is the Raiders season. This is an elimination game. Uh, if they win, they continue to have a chance. But if they lose, it's over. So there was a reason Gunther was shown the door last week. Yeah. Um, they needed that Colts game bad. Yeah, do or die game for the Raiders and the Chargers are die. Like they've already died. They're four and nine. They know their coach isn't coming back. One and five on the road feels relevant here, especially visiting Las Vegas. Um, yeah, I'm I'm glad we talked about this because I I could have lost some money tonight. I will lose money on Saturday night when Buffalo visits Denver. Uh. I love this spot for Denver. I don't think I'm going to toy with the money line, but you shouldn't rule it out completely. Uh, that money line sitting at plus 220 right now for Denver. Um, I should say Buffalo favored by six. I'd like to get Denver by seven, so I'm holding off on it to see if more money comes in on Buffalo. But let me talk to you about why I love Denver here. Uh, Denver has, if you take away the week that they had no quarterback, Drew Locke has looked passable in those three games, in the three of those four games. 
uh, and the only one that wasn't, you know, he didn't play. Uh, Buffalo has been in a spot where they got to pick off Pittsburgh, who was decimated by injuries, basically playing two short weeks in a row after a nonsense uh, Ravens-Washington situation. Um, and they've, you know, two primetime games, big wins. This is like a classic letdown spot. But by the way, Denver gets the elevation advantage here too. Um, you give me even a little bit of wind, I w- start worrying about Josh Allen's accuracy again. Uh, I, so I think the six points are beautiful. I'm still picking Buffalo to win this game because, like I said, I, I don't know that Denver does enough to win. But I think they keep it close, and I think there's enough in – uh, Denver's advantage here that they shouldn't be completely ruled out. What do you got? What I got is what I just saw Josh Allen do against a pretty formidable Steelers defense. Um, I mean, it just no Bud Dupree, no uh, fuck. Who's yeah? No, I mean, run court cornerback like that. Yeah, that defense missing, was in a bad spot. They're missing bodies, but even with the bodies they're missing, I, I still think they're a top five unit across the league and Josh Allen looked like the MVP that night. In fact, he's looked like the MVP for a couple weeks now. He's playing that good, especially in the red zone, still yet to throw a career pick in the red zone for a guy who's not the most accurate passer in the world. uh, I just think that's a phenomenal stat. I'm taking the bills. That number does seem a bit big for me, though. I think maybe the Broncos keep the, keep the game closer than people are willing to admit. So maybe Bills on the money line, but uh, Broncos to cover, middle it. Um, but yeah, watching Josh Allen the other night, it made me wonder where he could be a year from now, two years from now, because it, it does certainly seem like he's going to continue to get better and that he has the ceiling to get better. If yep. if the Bills can shore up that O line and get you know a top ten running game going, I don't expect that to happen this year. But next year, man, uh, good things on the way for the Bills. Uh, they're in a spot where I'm not saying they're going to go on the, a run similar to the Patriots did in the AFC East, but. They're in a spot where they, they could be set up to win this division for the next five years. Um, one other tiny note against Buffalo here, a bit of a look ahead. Got Patriots on Monday night next week. Uh, and then, of course, Dolphins to close out this season. Not as big a look ahead as the biggest of all time that we'll be talking about in a few games, but uh, pretty darn close. Carolina visiting Green Bay. Give me the Packers. I don't think it's close. Lines nine. I am... Um, I'll tell you this. I there was a moment late in that Carolina Denver game where Carolina uh, punted the ball. I think with about six minutes left, around the forty on a fourth and four, and I started to question whether or not Matt Rule was actually trying to win the football game, um, playing against a team that shared their record. They know they're not going into the playoffs. This guy's known to be. You know, and the organization now uh, from the top down is known to be uh, pretty analytical. Um, so I would not be shocked if, uh, you know, similar to the Jets situation where it was never said out loud, but people kind of understand that the better a draft pick you can get, the better everyone is. 
So if Carolina is not even playing to win at this point, you probably got to take a look at the Packers here. Um, I don't love a blowout, so I'm not going to bet the game, but Packers should win easily. What do you got? Yeah, I agree. And I'm not really calling for a blowout either, but I do think they cover the eight and a half. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the Packers are a premier team in this league and the Panthers aren't. Uh, the Panthers disappointed me against the aforementioned Broncos last week. I thought they were going to win that game. I I mean, it, I hate to throw basic NFL math at you, but uh, if you're the Panthers and you can't beat uh, the 2020 Denver Broncos, then you're just not going to stand a chance against Aaron Rodgers and these Packers. Yeah. Um. You know, one of the things that actually scares me off that eight and a half is that there's, uh, so I use three books, Sports Interaction, Bet365, and Pinnacle. And Pinnacle is the book that is widely accepted to be one of the sharpest books in the world. Um, and part of the reason for that is that they offer lines at minus 105 juice instead of the minus 110. So, which is a, a basic way of saying like, you better be smart because your margin for error is way smaller, Right. And they're offering a minus eight when all the other books have a minus eight and a half. And they're offering minus eight at even money. So it's like they're ask, they are asking people to bet Green Bay. And when one of the smartest books is asking you to bet one way, I, I get real fucking nervous about toying around with that. With that said, I feel like those games, because you and I have had conversations like this before where we're like, sports books trying to take our money. They're like, right, this doesn't, this smells fishy. I don't know that you want to get near it. It seems like Green Bay's the one team that actually covers in those spots a lot of the time. So, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is an exceptional player, clearly. Just a, a final note on that game for me. I truly believe this needs to be, especially in the second half of this game, if the game script goes the way I think it will be, with Green Bay up at half. I really do believe this game needs to be a Jamal Williams game. I think they need to keep Aaron Jones as fresh as possible. I think Jamal Williams could start for double-digit teams in this league. Every time I see him, he's just an absolute bowling ball. Uh, I love love everything about him. Uh, He's Latavius Murray to that team. And... I really think they should give him a bell cow workload as soon as this game gets out of hand. I I think that would be the responsible thing to do. And another final note on Aaron Jones, uh, he hired Drew Rosenhaus this week. So I'm starting to wonder if Aaron Jones is going to price himself at a green bed. Yeah. And you know what? He deserves to get paid big with the production he's put up since coming into the league. You look at his numbers the past couple of years. I mean, they rival really anybody else's. Got you know. I, I look at the position he plays. Look at his age. Look at his production. The guy deserves all the money he can get. And even though this isn't the Ted Thompson Packers who never spent a dime in free agency, I know they are doing that now. I just don't see him being back in Green Bay with the money he's looking to get. I did, maybe I'll be wrong on that one, but I, I just think he's going to have to go elsewhere. And again, especially with Jamal Williams right behind him. San Francisco at Dallas. Uh, San Francisco, I think you and I would probably agree, is a better team. 
but a bit of a dream crusher last week. Washington beating them basically knocks them out of the playoffs. So to whatever extent Dallas has motivation issues, you know, San Francisco does too. Uh, You add into the fact that they have to travel across the country um, to, you know, West coast team starting at 1 PM uh, versus a Dallas team that I think might still have some fight in them here. Um, trying trying to prove everyone wrong and ultimately you know they might think they are still competitive uh and and mathematically they are still competitive for uh that division um you know three more wins gets them to seven and nine uh winning out is plausible they beat san francisco then they go then they got eagles giants um so you know that's a scenario that can happen for them so Give me, give me Dallas here. I think they're still going to have their head in the game. I don't love it, but it's, it's a bad game with bad teams, so you got to make a pick anyways. Give me Dallas. What do you got? I'm taking the 49ers. I think they still have enough heat up front on that D-line to cause major issues for really a league-worst Dallas O-line. And I know that's because of injuries, but some of it has to do with age as well and mileage. And I'm not sure in my time following the league, I've seen a depth chart fall from grace the way I have the Dallas O-line. I can't remember a unit going from being so dominant to such a liability so quick. Uh, It's really something uh, stunning to watch happen in real time. And I think that's going to be their downfall here. I I think guys like uh, Kinlaw, Eric Armstead are going to make enough plays. Uh, how about uh, Jordan, um, the bust out of Oregon, who busted big in Miami? Uh, great redemption story for uh, for the 49ers on that line. Uh, yeah. I don't see the Cowboys doing much here. Still no final word on Zeke if he's going to play. But I'm really not sure that matters I mean, at this point. Would you would you rather just have Pollard at this point? Yeah, I mean, the past couple of weeks I've been calling for more Tony Pollard uh, on this podcast. I think the more they use him down the stretch, the better. If not, just to evaluate things going on uh, going forward. Zeke will be back next year, but beyond that, you know, I, I, for him two years from now to be wearing a different jersey, I think there's a very strong possibility. Jerry Jones multiple times this year said he's still the best player on that team. I don't believe that to be true. I'm not even sure he's a top 10 running back in the league anymore. I'm really not. And I'm not sure it's his fault. Uh, If you look at any player who's playing post COVID recovery, it's, it's strikes me that they've all been compromised and that they've all been shells of their former self. Uh, Lamar Jackson, but yeah. Like Lamar, I mean, Lamar looked yeah. really good on Monday night. I thought. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, when he had cleats that kept him upright, uh, yeah. his footing was a major issue. Yeah. Uh, it took the third pair of cleats to get everything straightened out. Yeah, I think your point's generally true, though. Like, I think Lamar is kind of the exception to the rule. Like, he is in a lot of things. Um, you, you know, the, there, there's questions of like how good was Newton to begin with, right? <laughs> but, um. Yeah, and and just to finish the thought on that, this week we saw uh, 
University of Florida college basketball player completely collapse, uh, uh, you know, due to a heart issue, had to be rushed to the hospital, was in a medically induced coma. Turns out he had battled COVID earlier uh, in the year and was left with a compromised heart as a result. What I'm getting at is, for all we know, all these guys are playing with either compromised lungs or hearts. And we, we, we might not know the full story here for a couple of years. We may look back on this period and just think, wow, it's nuts that those guys were even out there playing with what we know now. Hopefully that's not the case, but I have a feeling we're going to find out some stuff that it's going to make our head spin about this. Um, we talked about this before the season started and, and I'll just reiterate it now. Like, I have no problem with the NFL or MLB, NBA, uh, hockey deciding that they're going to play their season under whatever restrictions. You know, players in those leagues have uh, substantial unions with real bargaining power. Uh, And for the most part, uh, the vast majority of players in those leagues have made a significant amount of money already not necessarily generational wealth, but like uh, enough that so long as they're not an idiot, they're not going to go bankrupt. Right. It is uh, the choice of a grown ass man then of like weighing, you know, the money, the future, all the things versus whatever health impacts that may come along with it. And I think that's fair to put college kids who are not paid in that same position Um, where they essentially receive none of the benefits that come from this product that they are creating. Um, You know, there's those out there who would argue that like, well, their education, you know, like that's, that's a weak fucking argument, man. Cause you're basically saying, you know, 40 grand a year or something. It's not, it's not a substantial amount of money versus the value that they create uh, for advertisers and networks and schools. Yeah. Um, not to mention the only ones who actually finish their degree are the ones who take the initiative to go back years later. Yeah. Or, or just don't make it to like, like further pro sports. So it's just like to, to take what you have the gall to still call amateur athletics and force that season into existence um, has always been like a morally repulsive choice that uh, you you can't, there's no reasonable argument to be playing college football, college basketball, like the, you know, these kids now there's going to be those out there that say like, well, they want to play. It's like, Oh, well maybe they do, but, you know, you're supposed to be the adults in the room. Um, and at some point, you know, you've got a kid in Florida who went into a medically induced coma. Uh, hopefully he'll be okay. But I, I mean, that's a, that's a direct result of, of the choices that these guys made to try to cash a check. And, and I think it's repulsive. On that note, Seattle at Washington. Um, <laughs> Alex Smith still hasn't practiced. He's not practicing yeah, today. It, I, as long be, as it's going to be Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. And so as long as Alex Smith isn't playing, you can't take Washington against basically anyone. It is a, a complete night and day comparison of what that offense looks like uh, 
uh, with Alex Smith and any other quarterback. Um, Not to mention no Gibson this week, too. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think you, I, I you got to take the Seahawks here. I just bet the minus five and a half. This was five earlier today. Once Smith didn't practice, uh, most sites have moved the line to six. I found a off-market five and a half that I plucked off, but like I imagine that's not going to be there tomorrow. I would not be shocked to see this line at seven come game time. Um, yeah, love Seattle in this spot. What do you think? Smart? Hey, sorry. Lost you there for a sec. No, it's all good. So, yeah, Seahawks, I mean, I don't know anybody who, in their right mind who would take Washington with Dwayne Haskins under center. He did play better than I thought uh, in a kind of a mop-up role last week. I, I, I'm i going to be surprised if we see Alex Smith again this year. Um, and really for the rest of his career, it's going to be an issue anytime anything happens to that leg. And even though it's just, it just sounds like a, a, you know, a minor calf pull, uh, they're not going to mess around, rightfully so. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, I'm not sure we see Smith again. As far as this game, fantasy-wise, I kind of like the revenge spot for J.D. McKissick, uh, the former Seahawk. I think opportunity with Gibson out plus likely game script here with him being such a receiving threat out of the backfield. I think he's in a great spot for any fantasy team in the playoffs who's suddenly in a pinch at running back. Um, yeah. Uh, I think he's one of the better and honestly, in a lot of leagues, he's still out there on the free agent list, believe it or not. But yeah, Seahawks win here. I think they win big. I think the row line, I mean, pff, the way Chase Young's playing, he could single-handedly win this game for Washington. Um, I think it's safe to say he's got defensive rookie of the year all wrapped up after last week. And it's What's... funny, I, I think they're, I, I think people are starting to uh, wake up to that Washington defense, but I think they're still undervalued somehow. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, they're pretty good. And I'm like, no, 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 they're great. <laughs> you know, it's not, uh, they're, they're somehow still not getting enough credit for how good they are. Yeah. I mean, uh, anytime a, what looks to be like a genera- generational pass rusher and Chase Young falls directly into your lap at number two overall. You laugh all the way to the bank and you take him without even hesitating, as Washington did. What's the line for this? Five and a half? Yeah, I think Seattle covers that relatively easy. Yeah, if and, and I think if Alex Smith was in there, we would have to have a serious talk about whether Washington was going to be competitive in this game. But with without him, I think they got no chance. That five and a half is an easy cover. Yep, I agree. All right, let's go Chicago at Minnesota. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm picking Minnesota. I don't love it. Uh, neither of these teams are really competitive right now, but I'll t- the Chicago offense somehow looks better with Trubisky in there. Um, I, I, I think they just got a clean house in the off season, but for now, give me Minnesota at home. Uh, you know, u- usual stuff. Got Kirk Cousins in a 1 p.m. game, so I'm going to be back in them. What do you got? 
All year long, I like teams who run the ball, but especially this time of year, I like teams who run the ball. And even though David Montgomery is making me eat my words the past couple of weeks because he's finally breaking out and showing some signs of life by making some big plays, last time I checked, Dalvin Cook is still the leading rusher in the league uh, for anyone not named uh, King Derrick Henry. So give me the Vikings here. Um, for me, the big note of the game is the Dan Bailey watch. Um, with the amount of field goals and extra points he missed last week, that legit cost them basically any hope at the playoffs. I'm surprised he continues to have a job this week. And you better take it to the bank that I would say any missed kick whatsoever this week is going to earn him a pink slip. Uh that includes field goals, extra points, however you want to break it down. So for me, it's the Dan Bailey watch this week for Minnesota. But I'm surprised the Bears did what they did. I mean, I had the Texans last week. Obviously, I, I look pretty foolish for doing that. Um, but I didn't think the Bears' offense was going to show up like they did. I think it's going to be a different story against this Vikings defense. Give I mean, I, I, I would argue – the Houston offense no showed. Now, obviously, the Chicago defense had a big day too, but like, yeah, I mean, it was Deshaun Watson out there and nobody else. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cooks being injured definitely hurt them, but uh, you know, at at some point, uh, not like this isn't a hate on Deshaun Watson, right? But I'm like, is can we call the guy a generational talent if he's not able to work with what's put in front of him? Because like. Year after year, you got Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers out there passing to guys no one's fucking heard of. Um, now, you know, obviously different for Brady this year, but uh, you know what I mean? Like it, the really, really elite guys, it doesn't matter who you run out there, they find a way. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think Deshaun Watson has shown an ability to do that yet. I think usually with those guys, they have somewhat – of a defense behind them. Yeah, it's true. Somewhat too. and somewhat of a successful running game, both of which Houston just doesn't have right now. Yeah, totally fair point. Uh, it's literally Watson on an island all by himself. Uh, I mean, JJ Watts finished as much as people don't want to look in the mirror and have to admit that. Um, he's no longer an elite player. And I mean, they just lack playmakers all over that defense, really. Uh, they got to go back to the drawing board. I mean, the the theory that I've heard that's at least fun to think about is that Houston lets go of J.J. Watt in the offseason. Pittsburgh, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. Pittsburgh can basically pay him the money that Bud Dupree uh, would get if he wasn't going to get paid an unreasonable amount of money. So Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even sure it will cost that much at this point. Yeah. Um. But as far as this Vikings game goes, I'm surprised it's only uh, three. I-, I figured that line would be a bit bigger. So, yeah, I think the Vikings cover that three. So, that you know, that's interesting because I-, I was thinking that too. And then, you know, the more we talked about Dan Bailey, it's like, yeah, if you've got a kicker with the yips, that like that's a three-point swing in my mind, right? If we're looking at a guy who can't hit a fucking field goal anymore, uh, you know, even if he goes four for six, uh, not that well. The way Minnesota plays, he might end up doing something like that. Um, 
you got to consider that. Like it's got to be worth at least two points. And Minnesota by five sounds more like kind of where you'd expect that to be. But you would almost for sure take Chicago in that spot. Yeah, so the line should probably be four and a half, four, but then you add in that the kicker's got the yips, and it's like, okay, well, then it's a three. And I, I, I really think that's the only thing that's moving the number there. I do firmly believe that one of the only reasons Dan Bailey still has a job is that it's a larger commentary on the state of the kicking situation league-wide right now. I mean, there's literally nobody there's better no to bring in. Yeah, And I will reiterate, uh, something I mentioned a couple weeks ago that teams need to start thinking outside the box. Uh, I I know there's stats that say we live in a generation now where kickers have never been better, but that's not what I'm seeing. Ever since they moved that extra point back, uh, it seems that kicking is just a mess league-wide. And again, I, I think it's time to to start going after some former professional soccer players. I, I really think it is. What do you think I about think, uh, bringing Sarah Fuller up? No, no. I, <laughs> I, I, don't, need to see, I don't need to see that. That's, you that's, don't need you know, a 25-yard kickoff again? Yeah, I mean, that's you know a cool story for some, but yeah. for anybody who claims that she's out there for performance reasons, I mean, they're just wrong. Uh, um, so, hold on. I, anyone who claims that is wrong, but I, I will say this. I... I think she legitimately got that job and not um, not not necessarily because she was exceptional, but because of the complete fucking clusterfuck that happened at Vandy that like their kicker got hurt, their backup kicker got hurt, you know, and because of COVID protocols, you need someone who's like already on campus. Yeah. And, um, and, and they did what I just called for people to do. They thought outside the box. She's, yeah. a, she's a, a, a soccer player by trade. Yeah. And that's what I keep saying is bring in soccer players. But yeah. usually I, I have males in mind. And yeah, I, I, I hate to break it to people, but males tend to have stronger quad muscles than females. Yeah. And um, I don't, I, I'm not, I like, I, I'm not flaming you. I have just heard in other circles people being like, oh, this was just uh, like trying to, it was like a woke bullshit thing or trying to get publicity. And it was like, no, it kind of like naturally happened Yeah, that this was like the only option available, you know? Uh, and so they, they went that route and they tried. They, they were like, all right, well, let's do something crazy then. Um, and, and she was up for that. So that was good. And I'll tell you, it's good for girls. Like kids, kids watching, yeah. you know, like yeah, good for them. But like, let's not be fucking delusional here. None of you are going to the NFL, okay? No. Yeah. Uh, all right. New England at Miami. I'm picking Miami. I don't feel good about it. Um, New England always had trouble going to Miami. Even in the teams, even in the years where they were amazing and, and Miami was terrible, uh, Gase managed to to do some work down there. Um, I've heard a lot of talk about how good Brian Flores is, and I I think that's mostly true. But acting like he and Belichick are on the same level is probably insane. But at the end of the day, New England doesn't have a quarterback. Um. Cam Newton's fucking terrible. Uh, I I had a good time during last Thursday's game and going back and finding the mass holes in my mentions when I was laughing about 
them signing Cam Newton, people acting like he was going to fucking save the franchise. Uh, Cam Newton's bad. That team's bad. Um, the only reason their win-loss record isn't fucking pathetic is because of Bill Belichick. Give me Miami. I still don't love it because of Bill Belichick. Uh, but I, I, you know, Patriots are toast. So I'm, I'm on Miami. What do you got? I can't believe that we're this late into the season and the Patriots are still doing that QB keep four times in a row on the goal line every time they, they get the ball down around the red zone. It, and it's I the mean, same it, motion I, too. Yeah, it is. You it see, is. The, you see yeah, the motion yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh, we're doing this fucking thing again? I've never seen something more predictable in my life. And I've never seen something not work as much in my life. And I've never seen a team stick with something that's not working and is so predictable so much in my life. And for a coach of Belichick's level to be doing that, I don't think it's McDaniel's going rogue. I think that's, you know, he's following the orders of the code red there. Yeah, I don't think anybody goes rogue in a Belichick. No, no. Um, It really speaks volumes to what they're seeing at a camp throwing the ball in practice. I mean, it really does, right? I mean, there's no other explanation. There's no other explanation. And it makes you wonder, why aren't we seeing Stidham? And then it makes you wonder, well, what's Stidham showing in practice? it would have to be marketably worse because if it was anything near Cam, I think they would go with Stidham. It's hard to make of exactly what's going on in New England at this point if they want to even win ball games anymore. And so, yeah, I'm taking the Dolphins. I, I don't think the Dolphins are a world beater, but I, I think as long as Tua is going to find Mike Kosecki in the red zone, I think that's all that needs to happen to beat New England. Um, I was calling for more Mike Gusecki back in the Fitzpatrick days, and I'm glad that Tua has rightfully found that he's his go-to guy. Uh, the guy is just an absolute mountain of a man, and he's got great hands for guys. So I'm glad that has worked out. New England's not winning this game. And again, you have to wonder if they even are interested in winning games going forward. And I'm surprised the line's only two and a half, especially given historically, like you said, New England's trials and tribulations uh, down in Florida. I mean, it it goes back as far as the late Tony Sperano, back when they were running the Wildcat with Ronnie Brown. It's it's been a problem ever since for New England down there. And if, if it was a problem when they were good with Tom Brady, like I don't think it's going to have improved as they are now a much worse team. So yeah, give me the Dolphins and I think they cover the two and a half. Jacksonville at Baltimore. Baltimore should win. Jacksonville at plus 13 has a ton of value on it though. Uh, Big letdown spot off a big Monday night win. Um, We will never know the truth because there is no way to know, but I will die believing that Lamar Jackson running into the locker room was a man clinching his butt cheeks, holding his shit in. He and others can say differently, but that man took a shit in the middle of a Monday night football game. And I'll go to my grave, believing that give me Baltimore to win. I'm going to bet Jacksonville plus 13 though. What do you got? See, I don't, I don't view this as a letdown spot. I view this as 
the Ravens getting back on track in that game against the Browns and them firmly with their air appointed back up. I think they finally sorted out that Mark Ingram isn't the running back he was last year and that they've got two guys in J.K. Dobbins and Gus Bus Edwards that are at this point much better running backs with much more tread left on the tire, much more explosion. So now that they finally whittled it down from a three-man job to a, a two-man, you know, pick your poison spot. I, I'm loving the Ravens running game. Yeah, no, I, I don't view this as a letdown spot at all. I'm not sure they cover that 13. That does seem like a big number. Definitely doable because I, I don't think the Jags are a very good team whatsoever. But yeah, Ravens here. Yeah, the the only thing I'd say there is like the best argument I've heard against this is that the Ravens are bullies and that the when the Ravens play bad teams, they just run up the score. So, you know, see how it goes. But I yeah, I agree. As far as the cramping goes, I just want to say if they did legitly quote quote unquote cramping. Yeah, if they did legitly give him an IV, then the only way the time lines up in my mind is if it was the scene out of any given Sunday where the guy's got the IV in the bathroom stall. That's the only way the time lines up. Uh, there would have been no time. There would He wouldn't have had enough time to use the washroom, fully relieve himself, come out, then have the IV and go out. It was like 10 but, minutes of game time. So that's like 15, 20 minutes of real life. Yeah, I... I think with him being on the COVID list, him not being able to exercise for, what, 14 days straight, I think it goes to show you that even when you're an elite athlete of Lamar Jackson's ilk, that that amount of time off and then being thrown right to the wolves, I mean, he he was probably still a bit dehydrated. And then having to go out there and make as many plays as he was with his legs... I, I think we were getting the right story. I, I think uh, I think he did have some calf cramping. He said it started in his arms, and then and then the reason he he clued into the fact that he needed to go to the IV was when he started to feel in his legs. I, I just think that that video that showed up on Twitter was read into way too much. The one of him running down the yeah, I think no, he was that, in a, hold on, I that think, wasn't a Twitter video. They showed that on Monday Night Football. That was yeah, no, no, no yeah. I know. I, I mean, what I'm getting at is that I think Twitter took it to another level. I, I think it, the sleuths. Well, we've all seen that run before. Many of us have done the run before. You know. Yeah, and I don't think body language. I don't think that's what it was. He wasn't grabbing his hips, and I think it was a man I who know, knew that, he that had that wave at the guy coming out. Like, yeah, get out was, of the way. That's uh... yeah. It was get out of the way. I gotta get an IV on me so I can get back out there. I, I think he realized they had Trace McSorley in the ball game. Yeah, he. Did I think time was of the essence. Yeah. Well, I think we can both agree IVs time take... was of the essence. Yeah, IVs aren't quick things. They take time. I, I, I really was... don't. I really don't think there's a conspiracy there. I think we're getting the whole story. Listen, I'll say this. Uh, we'll never know, and I'm fine not knowing. Um. I loved Twitter for those 20 minutes. That was, it was moments like that. And, and I laughed because I, the first real Twitter moment I remember, I was actually texting with you. And this was when you and I didn't text as much as we do now. Uh, 
but it was the night Osama bin Laden died or was killed, you know, was killed. And that was the first night that I remember Twitter really being a place that it felt like everybody was here and the con like the conversation was there. And if you wanted, uh, if you were on Twitter that night, you were a part of something, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and in a weird and completely opposite way, this was also one of those moments that brought a country together around everyone's best poop joke. And, and I was happy to have been there for it. Uh, and I, I found it delightful because I'm really six years old inside. <laughs> Tampa Bay at Atlanta. Uh, you and I talked about this off air. I have a pretty simple philosophy with Tampa Bay moving forward. If the team they're facing has a good pass rush, I hate Tampa Bay. If the team they're facing does not have a good pass rush, I love Tampa Bay. Give me Tampa Bay in this spot. I don't know about the six points. I think there's lots of reasons to kind of like Atlanta to hang close. Uh, Tampa Bay hasn't traveled in a long time. Another thing to think about there. Um, but I think Tampa wins, and, and I think it's not super difficult. I don't think – let me say this. I think if Atlanta covers that six, it's a backdoor cover. I don't think they're actually going to be competitive the whole way. What do you got? I'm digging the Bucks purely because I can't afford to fall back another game versus you on that our season total. That doesn't, that's not fair. I'm not making picks strategically over here. Well, as soon as I started a couple weeks ago trying to not be so chalk, that's when I started losing – losing uh, my lead so i gotta that's get back to business i want to every fiber of my body wants to take the falcons here because I, I still think that they can surprise any team in the league when they play their best football and i'm not that high on the box especially without uh the fourth leading rusher ronald jones out for this game yeah i mean i'm not going to be surprised if atlanta wins this but you know, 50-50 pick them. I got to go with Tampa. But I, I don't think they cover the six. I think even if the Falcons lose, they keep it close. Okay. Uh, let's go Detroit at Tennessee. I, there's no analysis needed here. Detroit's really bad. Tennessee's really good. Um, it, the only th thing I'm actually going to bring up here if we're going to talk about Tennessee is that Tennessee right now 25-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Is there a little bit of value there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, after what we saw they did last year, absolutely. I mean, they damn near beat Tennessee. You know, people aren't going to remember because the second half kind of got out of hand. But like that first half, when they were committed to running the ball, they they were leading. And then once they got away from the run, they were in trouble. But like, I, I, I mean, I think it's totally plausible that they they end up in the Super Bowl. Um, let me see here. So if I go to win conference, Tennessee is 12 to one. So I think if you're doing Tennessee to win the conference, you got to take them for the Super Bowl. Cause let me ask you this. I, and I might be on an Island here. I, I'm realizing as I start talking, do you like new Orleans better? Like in a one-on-one -on -one matchup, would you rather have new Orleans or Tennessee? If they were playing each other in the Super yeah, Bowl? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, it's going to depend on Breeze. And on that note, I, I like to think I'm, uh, what I said last week was right because it sounds like Breeze, now that we have a little more information, is, again, nowhere near and is still in a hell of a lot of pain, as I predicted he would be. Um, 
I mean, if Breeze plays in that game, give me the Saints. But if he doesn't, give me the Titans. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, Packers versus Titans. I probably like the Packers. Yeah, I definitely like the Packers. Um, Thing is, is I mean, when the Titans play their best football, yeah, I think this year's offense is better than last year's offense. Yeah, I, I think, think their eight, defense took a step back, though. Yeah, their defense did take a step back. Um, but they didn't have Jeffrey Simmons in the middle of that line last year, and they do this year. And I'll tell you, the guy's going to be a household name in no time because, I mean, other than Aaron Donald and Chris Jones in Kansas City, uh, I think Jeffrey Simmons right now is the third best defensive tackle in the league. Yeah, I I think A.J. Brown in year two, uh, we talked about before we went, went live, uh, yet to have a 10-target game and look at his numbers. I mean, if the guy ever starts getting 10-target games, watch out there. So I think it's a better Titans offense. And, yeah, I like that. I think there's some value there. What, you said 25-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl? Yeah, but the more, the more I'm thinking through this, I think the value... If you're if you're trying to do it right, what you do is you bet the twelve to one to bid, win the conference. The division, you mean? No, the conference. Okay, so you, so yeah, they got to beat KC. They got to beat KC or or whoever, but they're they're gonna have to beat a couple teams. Um, but you take that the winnings from that twelve to one, and then whoever they're facing in the Super Bowl, they're gonna be a dog too, right? Like what, like. If somebody's making odds, they're dogs to Saints, they're dogs to Packers, they're the dogs to the Rams, uh, probably dogs to Tampa Bay. Seattle is iffy, right? Yeah. I, so even if it's... I, even, I, think, I think whoever comes out of the AFC is going to get a lot of respect. Right, but if... And, they, and if the Titans beat the Chiefs, I don't... I don't think they're going to be dogs to a lot of teams. I think they're dogs to at least three of the four teams I just mentioned. They might not be dogs to Tampa Bay. Those might be even. Hard to say. But I, I you know, against the Saints and the Packers, they, they're definitely dogs, I think, right? Um, and the Rams, it's close. And the Bucks, it's I, I would probably favor Tennessee there. Yeah. But you're, it's enough of a gamble that it's like, you know, if they're plus 140 on the money line against the Saints or the Packers. And, you know, if it's a four-point game, that's probably about what it ends up being. Um, then you're you're getting even – you're going to get better than that 25 to 1 because your 12 to 1 is going to uh, go double plus 0.4. So uh, it's like 30 – like 32 to 1 or so. Um, that math's not totally clean, but it's it's close. So I, th- I think that's the better way to get at that if if that's your position. Um, and you have the opportunity to hedge a little, right? Because you can just go Titans, and then if they win and you see their opponent and you're like, oh, fuck, I don't know about this, you can just get out of it and take your 12-to-1 take your too. Yeah. All right, I'm going to put a little bit. I'm just going to put a little, a little taste, a little, uh, little taste on uh, Tennessee to win the AFC. All right. I I just don't see them being – I don't see anybody beating Kansas City. This I year. know. It's hard like to it, see. It's I, I hate to be the chalk guy, but I think we're going to get our first repeat champ in a while. 
so I like I think you're right, and and I think that's the right take. But the team, if we try to envision a team that could beat Kansas City, it looks an awful lot like Tennessee. It's a team that's going to run the ball a ton, play ball control, and have like a reasonable defense. Because you're never going to stop Kansas City. You can just hope to kind of keep the ball away from them long enough that they can't like totally run you over. Um, they would also need to not turn the ball over like they did last year. But uh, Houston at Indy. I've already bet Houston plus seven and a half because I think they keep it close, but uh, give me Indy here. On the betting side, listen, I think there's a lot of value in that seven and a half just in that Indy publicly uh, beat the shit out of their opponents last week and Houston got the shit beat out of by them. Generally, you want to um, kind of bet those trends, right? You want you want to bet a team off a bad loss and against a team off a huge win. You're getting both in this game. Uh, so I love the seven and a half. Um, but uh, otherwise, yeah, Indy should win this game. What do you got? Yeah, the Colts win. Um, they've got T.Y. Hilton going finally. And I'm not sure if anybody saw the pure acceleration by Jonathan Taylor on that yeah. touchdown run last week. I mean, that's basically the run that got Gunther fired. Um, just uh, amazing. I mean, he... Which is funny because, like, how do you blame the coordinator no, I, for like just no, no. pure speed, right? No, no. I, I mean, it's not his fault. Jonathan Taylor made that play, but I mean, it, it is, it's, really, it's the whole performance I get him fired. I shouldn't say it was that play, but what an amazing play! Uh, miles per hour, I think he clocked in at like the second fastest running back, other than Raheem Mostert, who seems to always have that award every year now. Yeah, Colts win this. Uh, you're right. That's uh, that seven and a half could be problematic, uh, Houston. But Houston's missing an awful lot, man. Uh, they're missing a lot of a lot of weapons on offense. It's really just going to be Watson on an island again this week. Fuck it. Um, do we know if the Colts I, I, linebacker is it Buckner? Is he back? DeForest Buckner, the defensive tackle. No, I'm thinking of someone else. I'm thinking of their linebacker, oh, Darius Leonard, maybe. Yes, that's um, it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a big piece for them. Uh, they've had Walker emerge also this year. Rhodes got injured too, right? Yeah, yeah, that did, that did not look good for uh, Rhodes' clothes there. And he was having a bounce back year with the Colts. Uh, I'm still surprised Minnesota parted ways. But yeah, as far as this game goes, I the more I think about it, I, I'm not sure the Texans even keep it close. I, I, I think I would bet the Colts and take the seven and a half. Yeah, Leonard, full participant at practice, uh, apparently Rhodes as well. So um, I might be on the wrong side there because if, if they're healthy on the defensive side and Houston continues to have their offensive injuries, um, yeah, I might be on the wrong side there. We'll see how it and, goes. And that Colts O-line last week finally started to resemble the Colts O-line of, of last year. Yeah. I, I feel like it's been way too long since I've heard Quentin Nelson's uh, name. You almost have to wonder if he's playing a bit compromised, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm, Nelson, they had moving around like a motherfucker last week where they were just like, Nelson played left guard, center, and left tackle or something all in one game. Like, it was fucking wild what they were crazy. doing there. Yeah. All right, let's go uh, Philly at Arizona. 
I loved what you said to me before we started doing this. Arizona practices against a mobile quarterback every goddamn week, so I don't think they're going to get shocked by Hurts on that. I'll tell you this. I, um, I'm i getting sick and fucking tired of Moose Johnson because I think his analysis is like 20 years behind reality at this point. Guy what, did play fullback for a living in an yeah, era where fullbacks left their head on yeah. basically every play. So, right. I mean... The fact that he's even still lucid, uh, I think, is hands off. To me. Yeah. Um, uh, listen, he, he was talking on that broadcast against New Orleans that, like, you know, how much you got to look at this and you got to look at that. And the part he never mentioned was that Jalen Hurts was getting rid of the fucking football. Like, anyone who's been watching the Eagles for a while this year uh, knows that the biggest problem with Carson Wentz was he'd get his ball, the ball in his hands, do three pump fakes, run around for a little while, and try to throw the ball in the opposite end of the fucking field. Uh, and, behind a very problematic beat-up O-line. Yeah. Uh, whereas Jalen Hurts came in and was like, oh, uh, my offensive line sucks. Uh, people are coming after me all the goddamn time, so I'm going to get the ball and I'm going to get rid of the ball. And if I don't get rid of it immediately, I'm going to roll out and run away from the pressure. So this is all to say, I like Arizona here. I think Philly is super live. I I am not going to be even a little bit surprised if Philly ends up winning this game. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, I got to take the Cardinals. I think Hurts gives them a hell of a lot more chance than Wentz does at this point. I think the O-line has a lot to do with it. I think if Philly can get Miles Sanders going the way they did against the Saints, I think the Cardinals' work's going to be cut out for them. But again, like you brought up, uh, this Cardinals' defense is is accustomed to to lining up and practicing against mobile quarterbacks. Kyle Murray's faster than Jalen Hurts, so I don't think there'll be an issue there. And I'm not sure Jalen Hurts is for real. I mean, he didn't really do that much at Alabama. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this bubble's for real. We'll see. Could burst as soon as this week. But yeah, I mean, going forward, the Eagles are in a tough spot. I mean, with the money still owed to Wentz, you have to think he's back next year no matter what, even if it is as the backup. So, yeah, it's a tough spot. Give me the Cardinals this week. Um, my only other comment on Philly here is, like, what kind of psycho shit was Doug Peterson pulling after that game where he was like, oh, well, we'll evaluate and figure out who's going to start the next game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, you just beat the best team in the NFC, and uh, you'll evaluate to figure out who should start at quarterback. Like, just unbelievable horseshit being fed to us. There's gamesmanship, and then there's looking yeah. delusional. Yeah. And that was looking delusional because we all knew the writing was on the wall. Especially when you got a guy like Miles Sanders coming out in the post game and saying, "Yeah, it's nice to have some leadership." Uh, you know, everybody pointing to how Hertz brought more leadership than Wentz did. It's no, and it, it was no secret uh, that a lot of the star players for the Eagles were calling for Hertz weeks before they sat Wentz down. So there has to be some relief in the Eagles' locker room. Well, and here's. Another possibility, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's what actually happened, but like, was Doug Peterson's thought like, oh yeah, I'm going to, you, you guys want to keep calling for Peterson, you guys in the media think you're so fucking smart, you, you know, these players leaking shit. 
Oh, you want you you want hurt so bad? Okay, fine. I'll give them to you. Put them up against fucking New Orleans. Watch them get his shit bent, and you guys can all feel like idiots, you know. And then yeah, this yeah. happens, and he's like, "Well, I guess we'll figure out what we're doing next, right?" Because he ne- he his thought was, "I'm gonna put Hurts out there, yeah. blow him the fuck up, and then go back to Wentz." And be able to say, "I told you so." Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, all right, Jets at Rams. Um, Jets dogs by 17 and a half points. Uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I would like to go back historically. I want to see if there's a site I could pay like 10 bucks a month for where I could easily look up, like, you know, show me a team where if you add up their three biggest dog spots, um, it would be worse than the Jets from this year. Cause I'm not sure it exists. Uh, Jets plus 17 and a half here. They were plus 17 earlier this year. They were also plus 21 versus Kansas City. I'm saying they were plus 17 earlier this year. I mean last week <laughs> against Seattle. Um, with that said, I talked about this a little bit earlier. I think this is the biggest look-ahead spot we have seen all year. Rams come off a revenge win against the Patriots in primetime. Next week, they have the Seahawks, who are they, they are currently tied with for first place in the division. So, do I think it is such a look-ahead spot that the Jets beat the Rams? No, but 17 and a half. I'm betting the Jets. It's going to feel gross. It won't be fun to watch. Uh, Rams are going to win the game, but if you want to make some money, I think there's a lot of value here on the Jets. What do you got? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't think it would be the strangest thing in the world if the Jets covered that number. The offense is slowly, slowly seems to be showing something. It's really hard to gauge with the way, you know, it's almost like uh, two steps forward, one steps back, even when they do make a play on offense. I'm not sure. I mean, like you said, the Rams are going to win this game. The question is, are the Rams going to be up so much so early that they take the foot off the gas and allow Darnold to backdoor cover? Um more I think about it, I'm going to say no. The Rams are a pretty good team, not to be trifled with, well-coached. Yeah, Rams cover here, the more I think about it. Give me the 17 and a half. Kansas City at New Orleans, uh, undisputed game of the week. Um, oh, interesting. <laughs> uh there there's a thing called correlated parlays which is um in in general if you're betting one game so betting one team to cover you know say 17 and a half for example uh and the under um it's kind of like a betting rule of like if it's within 2.5 so if the number 17 and a half it would work out to uh what is it 35 plus eight and a half uh 43 and a half um if you do both oh and it is exactly 43 and a half that's a correlated parlay that you should expect that if they cover it is the under sort of thing right um i was just informed by a website that i tried to bet on they're like no you can't do that (laughs) so it's the first time i've seen that happen uh which is fine i'll i'll live with that all right casey at new orleans game of the week uh 
I've got New Orleans here. Listen, Kansas City, I think, has looked susceptible to a run game for a while. I think that can't, uh, pardon me, the Saints defense uh, is extremely good. I think it's questionable if you can put Lattimore on an island with Hill, but maybe you can put him on an island with Kelsey um, and then just double Hill. I, I think having a legitimate shutdown corner and what is going to be a run first offense gives you options against this team. I like New Orleans here. I don't love it. Um, it is the most likely Super Bowl preview in my mind. Uh, give me the Saints. Where are you on this game? I'm digging the Chiefs, and I'm shocked the number isn't bigger. I think that three and a half is borderline offensive. I really do. For a, a breezeless Saints offense that's coming off the performance that they just came off, uh, I'm shocked that number isn't bigger. I, I think that's easy money. Three and a half. I think the Chiefs cover that for sure. You will be shocked to find out that most books have it at three. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, whenever we do these lines, I always just look at sports interaction because I'm lazy and I. No, no, no. It's like if you're not betting it, you shouldn't be looking at three books, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, really, yeah. someone needs to come up with an aggregate site that just really oh, funnels them all into one there is funny enough and i maybe i'll uh i'll, I'll send it to you now on discord but for me when i go to this website um from my home computer it thinks that uh i'm coming from america it's something about my bell internet that they like they show me draft kings and fan duel and all kinds of weird shit but if i go on my cell phone from like my cell network then it'll give me uh, Bet365, Sports Interaction, Pinnacle. So, William Hill, yeah. Uh, yeah, are you, who, are you getting DraftKings and FanDuel and shit there? No, America? no, I'm, no, I'm seeing SI, Bet365, Pinnacle. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm jealous. I wish I, was, wish I was getting Jesus. all that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no. And I, I'm also with Bell, but obviously in Atlanta, Canada, not Toronto. Um, yeah, so that was the site that that aggregate yeah. site. If you are betting on three sites, yeah. is super useful, uh, especially when you try to get the best of a number. Three, um, I mean, that's that's mind boggling to me. Three, I mean, like, because yeah. have they not been watching the Kansas? Have they not been watching the Chiefs this year? Um, we talked I, about before the show, I think it would surprise a lot of people. Uh, Travis Kelsey right now leading the league in yardage over guys like DK Metcalf, Stefan Diggs, his teammate Tyree Kill. I was very surprised to see that. I knew Kelsey was having a good year, but I didn't think he was rocking up that kind of yardage. Um, yeah, no. I, nothing against the Saints' defense. Uh, I think the Saints, in many ways, are due for a bounce back after that letdown last week, that shocker. But no, it, this Chiefs team's on a different level. I don't think anybody's close to them. I really think the only team that could maybe give them a run for their money would be the Packers. And they're not playing the Packers this week. And they're not going to play the Packers unless it's in the Super Bowl. And even then, I think they handle them. So, yeah, give me that uh, three or three and a half, depending on what site you're on. Either way, I think it's highway robbery. My my only note here, and it's the same note I made last week, uh, Chiefs now five weeks in a row where they haven't covered. Now, lots of back doors in there. Don't get me wrong. That's um, probably why the line's so low, right? Yeah. I, what they I want to make sure that they break that streak. 
Yeah, but I, you know, part of my New Orleans pick here is that um, watching the Chiefs play uh, the last three weeks at least, it feels like um, they're playing with their food. You know, that's why I set you off. Like they're they like they get they like up twenty to, and they're yeah. like, eh, whatever. All right, yeah. who cares? They're like they're they're taking the long view, right? They know what this season's about. No, and I and, I, and the listen, same thing I said about Aaron Jones. Maybe there's a bit of that, right? Maybe it's saving bullets. But I I also and I that's exactly it. I think there is a real good argument to be made that if you're Andy Reid, why the fuck are you going to show anything? if you're up 20 yeah you know like okay we just need to win the game yeah so you just okay we're gonna run the ball a bunch some basic shit run a couple slants like all we gotta do is run the clock out and then you see when they get to the point where they're running the clock out they're running these fucking um like almost guaranteed first down plays you know where, where they're trusting it now the reason i'm taking the saints here is because i think that catches up with guys I don't, you know, you can't play with your food in the NFL. Um, and, and teams that think they can usually have a wake-up call at some point, and I would not be even a little surprised if the Saints were that wake-up call here. Um, and I'll tell you what, if they're not, I, I, I worry about the Chiefs in the playoffs, this idea that they're just going to roll right through um, to the Super Bowl and that nobody's going to give them a wake-up call between now and then. It's either the Saints or in the playoffs. And, and in a weird way, if I'm Andy Reid, I'd rather have it happen now than then. Uh, all right. Sunday night games fucking sucks. Yeah, I mean... Both of these primetime games are shit. Now this... And again, it's obviously because of COVID now that there has been no flexing. But man, I mean, if ever you'd want to see a game flexed out of a primetime slot, it's got to be this Browns-Giants game. Yeah, you got to wonder if they're just like give us the that New York market, but yeah, I, you know, for sure, um, CBS would have protected that Kansas City New Orleans game, but like I'd take Philly Arizona, you know, yeah, over anything. Cleveland and the Giants. Anything short of Jets Rams. Yeah, I don't want Jets Rams. I don't want Jacksonville Baltimore. I give me New England Miami. Like that's a yeah. fucking interesting game for prime anything. time. Anything. Yeah. Uh, anyways, Cleveland versus the Giants. Um, on the Giants' side, it's it's tough, man. If if Daniel Jones isn't healthy enough that he can run the ball regularly, he should mm-hmm. not be back there because he is not yeah. a pocket passer. No. He's going to turn the ball over. Yeah. So if you've got issues where he's not able to run the ball, you got to put in Colt McCoy. Um, and should have been should have been McCoy last week. I called for it and yeah. I didn't get it. No, and I think you're right because Daniel Jones did not look like he was ready to run the ball. So why have him in there? Um, so yeah, give me the Browns. Uh, what do you got here? I've never seen someone with the hand size of Daniel Jones put the ball on the ground like he does. Yeah, uh, it was a little more close to home and personal for me because. Uh, I was a top seed in my IDP league, which started the playoffs last week. And the guy I was going against had a, a little-known first-round bust by the name of Hassan Reddick for the Cardinals, who ended up having three forced fumbles and five sacks. Uh, an absolute fluke of a career game that will never be duplicated. And it 
cost me money in a money league, and I'm still quite sour over it. But nevertheless, uh, fast forward to this week with the Giants. They're going to be missing their shutdown number one corner, James Bradbury. I don't think they had a chance even with him. Without him, they certainly don't have a chance. Good luck stopping this Browns running game after what they just proved they're capable of against uh, a decent Ravens run defense. Uh, Chubb and Hunt, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better backfield at this point. And Baker's doing enough to give them chances to win. And I think that's all Baker needs to do. They don't need him to make plays. They just need him to not lose games. And really, I don't think they're going to need much out of him in this game. I I think the run game alone will get them up so big that it's really not even going to matter. Um, And yeah, they they cover that six. And I'm not sure it's the most irresponsible thing to maybe sit Nick Chubb down in the second half and let it just be the Ernest Johnson, Kareem Hunter. Yeah. Uh, coming across the wire right now, Mike Williams will be starting for the Chargers tonight Okay, uh, versus the Raiders. Eckler, of course, going as well. Yeah, I, I believe it's either a back or a neck for Williams. So don't be surprised if we see a, an in-game injury, re-injury yeah. to it. Um, I don't know that I want to bet a primetime Giants game because who the hell knows? You know what I mean? Um, so I'm just like, that's a stay away for me, but uh, yeah, I, I love I mean, Cleveland to smash. Their running game is finally showing signs of life between Wayne Gallman and Alfred Morris, but game script-wise, they're just not going to be in a, a position to use it in this game. I think they're going to be down so much so early that it's it's going to be a passing game script, and I think we all know where that leads. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's do Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. If Joe Burrow was in this game, it'd be really interesting, but he's not. Give me Pittsburgh. Yep. I, I don't think there's much analysis needed there. Okay. Other than the fact that suddenly the Steelers are coming off what? An 0-2 skid? Yeah. I mean... I, and injury, like, you know, we talked about it before, yep. very serious yep. injury concerns on the defensive side especially. Not to mention, it sounds like Big Ben's out there playing on one leg. Uh, it sounds yeah. like uh, people within that organization are starting to be pretty worried about uh, a knee injury that not many people knew about going into that, into really the last two weeks of games. Um, but yeah, I think they certainly get back on track here. Like you said, no Burrow, no chance. Yeah, give me the Steelers. I don't think there's really much else that needs to be said other than the fact that they better hope they don't accumulate more injuries in this game. Yeah. Um, just under 15 minutes left here. You want to talk about this 13 match UFC over the weekend here? Yeah, sure. Plenty so, of UFC to talk about. Oh yeah. So coming off the pay-per-view, did you catch that main event? I did. Yeah. That was, I would say, listen, there's some folks out there being like, match of the year i'm like okay you guys clearly forgot that yoan and way was this year <laughs> um yeah i uh, i think that's the fight of the year but uh marino figuereo uh especially given the context of that division certainly a, a great fight and obviously going to be run back as soon as those guys because both were fighting on three weeks rest so they're going to need some time off yeah but they moreno will be, they will be fighting again tough as fucking nails yeah. that guy. i mean 
Holy you look shit. like any Mexican boxer you've ever watched, right? I mean, well, except Ruiz about... after he got fat and happy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But there's something about the that Mexican fighting spirit that those guys just go out and are willing to trade forever. Uh, Figueredo, though, I, I, I have a lot. I mean, in many ways, he's my fighter of the year with what he's done this year. And in many ways, I, I think he's going to have a long title reign. But on the flip side of that, the fact that he's allowed to get in that octagon 20 pounds heavier than he weighs in is not only unfair, I think it's very dangerous. And yeah. I, I think someone's going to get hurt. We already know he's got heavy hands for a man of his size. But for him to then have 20 pounds on certain guys, I, I mean, it's just the guy should be fighting a weight class up. And that's all there is to it. I think uh, 1FC out in Singapore has it completely right when they do the hydration tests. Uh, I, th- I think the UFC needs to get into that business because some of this weight cutting nonsense is just insane. Um, I found it interesting, for lack of a better term, uh, that the guy that we were worried about gassing was the bigger guy. And that's because of this hydration nonsense that he's pulling, um, where he puts his body through such a fucking thing to begin with um, that you worry when he gets into the fifth round, if he's actually going to be able to, to run it through there. Um, I, the other thought I had on that main event um, for whatever it's worth for me, you know, that I, I continue to have concerns about some UFC scoring because one of those scorecards that had it as a draw um gave Moreno that fifth round and I like I just don't see a world where Moreno you can score that for Moreno in the fifth round Um, now which is you know it's an interesting concept because um, you and I talking and I I said to my wife here as we were watching it like I'm like oh this is going to be a draw because it made sense to me uh, that Figadero probably won the round with the low blow uh, won the fifth and probably the first, right? It was like the yeah, first. Yeah, Reno won the fourth. Yeah. Um, and so it was like the first and second were kind of toss-ups and it was totally reasonable to give Moreno either of or even both. Um, and Moreno definitely won the fourth, but like Figadero, I thought, won the, what would it be, third and fifth for sure. And then, so it was really a matter of like how he scored one and two. Um, yeah, he won the fight. I mean, it was the point deduction that cost him. And, and how, but that was a reasonable point deduction. Yeah, like, I, was I gonna, have no. I was going to ask that. you, how did you feel about it, given that there was no warning? I thought it was justified because Moreno was about to puke. I mean, it was that bad. So there's there's two pieces. One, it was that bad, and uh, as Dana White said in his post fight press conference uh, or post event press conference, um, it was the third fucking foul for that guy, right? Like Figadero had poked him in the eyes twice and, and now he'd kicked him in the nuts. Like at some point you got to say, no, like if you're going to fight dirty and then you add in the fact, which I think is reasonable that the guy looked like he was going to puke. And as they talked about on the commentary, um, you are supposed to factor in if uh, it's going to have an ongoing impact in the fight. And I think a blow like that, you know, anyone who's been kicked in the nuts knows that it's not a thing you just shake off after 25 seconds. So, yeah, I thought that was an entirely reasonable point deduction. I thought 
it gave Figueredo a, a period to bounce back cardio wise. I mean, he was a bit gassed before that. So you have to wonder, yeah. and I, I don't think this was the case here, but you have to wonder how many times a guy's gassed and intentionally goes for the low blow, yeah. assuming he won't get a point deducted just so, but maybe this is set of kind of a precedent that, Hey, whoa, I'm, maybe I shouldn't take that chance. Might get a point off without yeah. a warning. Um, on, on a similar but not completely connected area, I think Daniel Cormier was talking about, uh, oh, well, you, you know, if uh, Moreno wins this round, then he, that's a 10-8. And, and I'm like, what fucking planet are you living on, Daniel, that Moreno won this round? And it uh, uh, goes to a larger point that I thought it was a bad day for Daniel Cormier and Joe Rogan. Both of those guys hadn't commented in a while, commentated in a while, and it looked it looked it. Yeah, they they must have each yelled "He's hurt" about twelve times, and at yeah. a couple points they were yelling it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, John Anik completely carried. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't a good night for either. And which, by the way, and, I think they are generally great. I think that is the A team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have no interest in seeing Felder replace either one of those guys. Um, and certainly not that other guy whose name I'm forgetting the Mexican. Michael Bisping. No, Bisping's okay. Like I don't mind Bisping, but he's, he's Bisping's like a solid B team guy. Yeah. Is it Cruz? Cruz is the other guy. they have Yeah. Dominic Cruz. I like Dominic Cruz. He's yeah, very analytical. I do not like him at all. Um, I'll tell you, it's awkward when it's Cruz and Bisbing. I know because Bisbing not like each other. No, nah, yeah. and and Bisbing talks so much that Cruz takes it. You know, his ego gets a bit hurt. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I, I enjoy Dominic Cruz's commentary. I I, I like the analysis he brings. Uh, one other problem I thought with Joe Rogan that night was he seems to latch as soon as he has an outside theory in a fight, he seems to really latch onto that and make it the theme of a fight. For example, the theory that Brandon Reno had a broken forearm when in turn it was his well, shoulder. that he, was he had a huge welt on his he did, arm. Though. He did. I mean, like, the, the visual evidence was there, but still, I mean, for that to be all that you're talking about, and it turns out that, oh, no, that wasn't even the case. Uh, I, I just think he needs to be a bit more careful going forward with latching yeah. on to theories and, and making them the theme of the fight. I think that's a real fair point that, like, I, I – I actually don't mind him making something the theme of the fight, if we're going to phrase it that way. But if he's going to do that, he should accurately be describing what it is, right? Instead of being like, he must have a broken arm. Be like, there is a giant welt on his arm. And that has got to be impacting him in some way. Um, did you watch the undercard of this? Did you watch the prelims? Yeah, I watched every fight. And in fact, I wanted to get to Charles Oliveira quick. but Yeah, he's... let's do that. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just want to see with Charles Oliveira. I mean, we have to wait to see what happens with Connor and Poirier. And then it sounds like they're going to get Gaethje and Chandler together, even though I don't think that's going to be close. So it sounds like there's still a lot that needs to be sorted out. But I wouldn't have a problem with Oliveira if Habib was still around or was coming back. For Oliveira to go right into a title match, I think he, I mean, he's on, what, eight in a row now, fight win streak. All he does is finish killers. If it wasn't for Tony Ferguson being the toughest, baddest motherfucker we've ever known, anybody would have tapped to that arm bar. I think we yeah. all know that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never had to look away in an MMA. I, I did I, look away. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've never felt the need to do that before. 
that's how crazy Tony Ferguson is. I mean, what a tough yeah. guy. But quickly with Oliveira, I think he deserves to fight for a title right away. I don't think it's going to happen. Like I said, I think they need to figure out that round robin first. But the other thing I want to say about Oliveira is, man, there are apps out there like Duolingo, uh, Rosetta Stone. It seems that he's got a pretty good grasp of English when he's able to tweet. But Dana White doesn't have a long history of giving guys who can't speak a lick of English title opportunities. And I think, honestly, the biggest thing going against Charles DeBronx Oliveira right now is the fact that I'm not sure if it's just a case that he doesn't want to try it because his English is that in and out, but you got to at least make an attempt because right now he's not speaking a word of a lick of English. And that I think promotion wise is a big problem. Um, the only other thing I'd say about that fight is like, everyone's given Oliveira a ton of credit. And I don't, you know, uh, you know, I know it's easy to say Ferguson's finished, but I'm not uh, saying I'm not saying he's finished. I think finished is the wrong word for him. I I think Ferguson left a lot of himself in the ring with that in that fight with Gaethje. Yeah. Um, and so you know, eighty percent of Tony Ferguson is still a lot better than most guys in that division. Yeah. But I don't think we should treat beating eighty percent Tony Ferguson as the same as beating Tony Ferguson. Um, I, I, I think he's shifting from title contender to gatekeeper. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I, I was listening to someone talking about um, Holloway earlier today, and basically saying like, "Oh, I'd like to see a third Holloway." Was it Volkanovski? Volkanovski. Volkanovski. Yeah. I mean, Volkanovski said he doesn't want it, and that it's not fair to you know he's already and, done that twice. But in my mind, of, Holloway won one of those. So I, I, mean. I know, but it's like it's. It, it's hard, but the, yeah. the way I thought about that was like, okay, well, I think what Holloway has to do if he really, if he wants to do that, what he does is he needs to play gatekeeper for two years, you know, where anyone who wants that title shot has to go through him. And then eventually he can say, hey, you need a title match and I've beaten everyone who does, who you thought you would fight instead. So you have to fight me again. Yep. Like that's the only way Holloway yep. can do that. Give Volkanovski no choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, just, the other thing, just to follow on Volkanovski, sure. everybody knows his history is a, a former rugby player who weighed like 50 more pounds than he currently weighs now. The future yeah. for him is the next weight level up, and he's already mentioned it. He's not going to be able to cut that weight forever. Same way I don't think Frigoredo is going to be able to cut that weight forever. So yeah. Volkanovski won't be the champ of that division forever. Um, I'm, I'm going to go rapid fire on the rest yeah. of that. Uh, main Junior Dos Santos is done. Ju- yeah. Uh, Dana White said he needs yeah. to think about if he should keep fighting. I think yep. he should think about yep. if he should keep fighting. They're going to release him. That, if, they if, they're, if they're releasing Yol Romero, they're going to be releasing JDS. They've got 60 guys to release over the next two weeks. JDS will be one of them. So where does that number come from? I haven't, I haven't read anything like that. I know, I, I, now, I know intrinsically they have too many guys, but I don't know. Like, how do they decide how many they got to get rid of and all that stuff? I don't know exactly where the number's coming from, but a month ago, Bellator released 30 guys, and now we get word that the UFC is going to release 60 guys. Now, the fact that, that that 60 is double 30, maybe there's something to be read into there. I'm not sure. It's weird. These cuts come at a weird time because never have there been so many MMA cards, right? I mean, there's there's a card every week now. They need fighters. 
money certainly can't be a problem. I mean, the, the 2020 that the UFC had, I mean, they must just be printing money hand over oh, foot. No, that's, that's where you're wrong, my friend. Well, I know that they haven't gotten the gate money. No, no, right? no. That, that's, that, you, UFC is doing great for money, okay? Uh, the parent company... Zufa. Whoever, who, but whoever owns Zufa, there's like a broader mega corp that that owns whatever. Maybe it is Zufa. Anyways, what, whatever the broader, like the actual top company yeah. is. It was when the Fertitas sold it to uh, the guy that Ari Gold was based off. Uh, okay, uh, Ari so, Emanuel and his group. Those guys are getting fucking gassed right now. They, the only money making. Uh, company that they have is UFC and they just invested yeah. like Be- right before this fucking thing started they invested like a, a fuck ton of money like just a, a mind-blowing amount of money to, to you and me into like a Hollywood events company yeah right which is you know Basically, newsflash yeah. there's no fucking events yeah. in California right now yeah yeah so yeah uh, any, anybody with money in the movie business has had to have taken a hit so this is all to say that like there is no amount of money that UFC is making that they think it's enough. Like they are, they are going to milk UFC for every fucking dime that it's worth um, to try to make up for losses that they're finding in, in other areas right now. Um, the cuts are interesting. Cause like early in the year uh, when this COVID stuff started happening, you know, whatever. It's late enough in the podcast I can start getting political. Like, what a fucking shock that a Republican guy like Dana White would end up being full of shit when he says stuff that's pro-worker. But, mm. uh, you know, when COVID started, he's like, everyone's going to get their fights. We're still going to pay out everyone's contract. We're going to make sure everybody gets taken care of. Um, and now we're at the end of the year and we're like, yeah, UFC's going to release 60 guys. Mm. You know? Yol Romero was already landing on his feet with Bellator. And it sucks. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know why Bellator would want to take a risk on that after what he pulled with the Adesanya fight. Well, that's just it, right? And the thing with Bellator is, even though they are the number two promotion, they're getting this reputation of just basically taking whoever the UFC yeah. discards, right? I mean, it's basically leftovers. So yeah, that. Um, I thought that Mackenzie Dern. Uh, what is it? Verna Yandiroba. Yeah. yeah that's, the, that's the, a tough one. the lady fight on that main card was a, was a good fucking fight. banger until the main event happened. That was the fight of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dana said in his post fight press conference that they robbed the women, which yeah. is pretty true. Yeah. Um, Kevin Holland is a bad motherfucker. Yeah. Like that is yeah. a bad, bad yeah. man. Holy yeah. shit. You won't see a knockout like that for a while. Uh, yeah maybe if ever again. maybe ever yeah, yeah. no um, good th- good things on the way for holland i think he's called out out of sonya he won't get that fight but um we we could see him headlining the next card for sure i don't know who they're going to put him in there with but Ho- it's yeah be- holland would headline like a fight night not yeah, a, that's, what yeah. that's what i'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's not going to get a, a pay-per-view uh but yeah it's 
look for him to headline a fight night going forward and look for it to be a step up in competition so that we can find out if this guy is actually for real. And, and they got to they gotta put him in a five-round fight and see see what yep. that looks like before Absolutely. they give him a, a big name. Absolutely. And uh, on this on the same note with JDS, uh, Dana White was also speculating, or not speculating, but answering a question on Ronaldo Souza, and it sounds like he could be a part of the cuts as well. Yeah, I think Souza doesn't have a lot to offer right now. Basically, in the UFC, the way Dana White looks at it right now, if you're not a title holder or a guy who's going to fight for a title, we don't want you. Well, I and, and that's I, I think, in a way, that's the right way to run a fighting organization right now. Right, like if you're running UFC, what you what you should really be doing is trying to get rid of the fucking Junior Dos Santos types and the, frankly the Ronaldo Souza types. Yeah, the last um, generation guys. Yeah, and like guys who are at the end of their career, you gotta bid happy trails to. There's no point in bringing old men in the ring to get fucking beat up. Um, you know, fuck. What was that? Uh. What was the fight night that we watched a few weeks ago? That was a nightmare. Um, Silva, right? Like having, having Silva out there was fucking embarrassing. Um, and, and you hope you don't see too much more of that. Uh, the only other fight I want to talk to you about real quick, that Sam Hughes, Tesha Torres versus Sam Hughes. Um, I believe that was the first night, first fight of the night. It was the, yeah, there was an early prelim before that oh, with okay. Chase Hooper, but um yeah, he got real lucky with that heel hook. He got real lucky. Yeah, yeah. You can't um, take that amount of damage, as Dana White said, and stick around. So he's gonna have to uh, shore up his boxing. Yeah, his because he is an incredible wrestler, yep. but yep. he's got to figure out his got to figure out his stand up. It's yep. it's you, an issue. You can't take that kind of damage and have a long career, no, whether you win or not. Yeah. Um, Sam Hughes, I just felt like it was one of those things where it's like, you don't know what it's like to be in UFC. Cause you say your coach says, Hey, can you see? And you, you go, no, thinking that nobody's going to hear it, but it's like, everyone's mic'd you're on television. The doctor heard you can't see out of that eye. <laughs> like the second you say, no, the fight's over. You know, it's not a matter of your coach saying, okay, I'm going to call it. And you go, no, 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 I can do it. Like, that's it. The, the the fight's over so it's you know in a strange way like sam hughes is going to show up as five and two now but like um i'd like to see her fight again with the knowledge that like you just have to lie because every you know there's at least three other times on this card that i thought a guy probably couldn't see out of his eye and they just said they could and that's kind of how the fight game goes um and, and she didn't seem to know that there's a reason michael bisping currently has a glass eye right Right. Uh, and then the last UFC thing before we go, opening fight night at 7 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Uh, Marcin Tybura, whose name I always pronounce wrong, I think is going to give Greg Hardy his first real challenge. And uh, I. Yeah, since, I mean, last time we saw Hardy get someone of note was Volkov and he lost, right? So I, yeah, yeah this is for sure a, a step up in competition for Hardy. So I, as I do every fight, just out of principle, will be betting against Greg Hardy uh, and, and hoping for Tybura to, to take care of business there. But honestly, like, pretty good fucking card for a free TV card. We've got, you know, Jose Aldo versus Marlon Vera. Um, I think the Marlon Morales fight versus Rob Font's interesting. Yeah, Mar- I mean, Marais certainly I would think would be the favorite there. 
he is, but it's like they, we're going to learn something in that yeah. fight, you know? Um, don't see a it lot on the like... undercard that I find interesting. I guess Anthony Pettis coming back out is is going to be uh, interesting. But um, Oh, wow. I didn't even know he was fighting on this card. Um, it sounds fights. like... This is clearly, you know, as much as I was just talking Dana, this is clearly Dana going like, everybody that we said we were going to get X number of fights this year, anyone who still has a fight left is on yeah. this card. You know? For sure. Um, just on the JDS Ronaldo Souza release note, there is some speculation that if Jose Aldo loses this uh, Marlon Cheeto Vera fight, that he could be also finding himself on the chopping block. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's all. Anything else for week 15 in the National Football League? Uh, just because we've been talking so much UFC, uh, there a couple books put out lines on a future potential Jorge Masvidal Colby Covington fight that everybody's been champing at the bit to see. It sounds like it could be a pick If so, who do you have? Probably Covington. Yeah. I, I, I have Colby. Like I hate, I hate that guy as a person. Um, and you and I've talked about this on air before, but like people are like, Oh, well it's just like an act. Like I, I don't care, right? If you're, if if you're just going to act like a vile piece of shit, I will still consider you a vile piece of shit. If you if you think it is okay to go in public and just be vile and terrible, then I will consider you to be vile and terrible. Um, with that said, I think Colby learned from the Usman fight that like you don't need to stand there and do stand up when you don't have to stand there and do stand up and he's a better wrestler than a lot of people give him credit for. And frankly, Masvidal can't wrestle worth a shit. Um, and, and I expect him to take the Usman approach with Masvidal and just be like, well, I'll wrestle you for five rounds and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, just basic MMA math. Look how each fared against the aforementioned Usman, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's, there's some people in some universes that, you know, if the fight hadn't been stopped, thought Colby Covington was winning that fight, whereas Masvidal Usman wasn't even close. Yeah, I think those people are insane, but yeah, I, I totally understand. All right, we're long over time. I'm going to have to compress this more than I usually do. Uh, but my name is Charles. He's Nick Smart. As always, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again next week.